3.18. Good time to open your Bibles there with me. pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this special morning, for gathering us together to be with you. Thank you so much for the place you've provided for us. Thank you that we can sit here comfortably, Lord, to hear from you, to open your word freely. What a blessing. Thank you for every good and perfect gift from you. As we open our hearts to you now, we ask that you administer to us. You've told us to come to you to learn from you. And Lord, we're desiring to hear a fresh word from you, to experience a fresh work of your spirit within our lives, within our marriages, our homes, within your church. And so thank you for the great things you're going to do this morning. We commit our lives afresh to you. We commit this time to you now. And may you be honored, Lord Jesus, this morning. And it's in your precious and your holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right. So we left off in chapter 3. And remember, Paul is wrapping up now chapter 3, chapter 4. He's wrapping up this uh, major concern that he had um, with the church at Corinth. And that that, of course, was the issue of division within the church. Remember, the church was dividing up. They were dividing up over their favorite pastors, their favorite leaders. Some were saying, I'm of Apollo. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. To the exclusion um, to everyone else. They had their little groups, um, their little teams, their little clubs, their little, um, their little thing they had going on. And so, and it was causing problems. And don't divisions cause problems? If you've ever been involved with a church split, it is nasty, it is brutal, it's sinful, of course. But any division, whether it's in a marriage, there's division, there's divorce, a family, or whatever, there's pain. And this is a major concern for the Apostle Paul. It's major in the fact that there's four chapters that deal with this issue. He is trying to help this church get reconnected with one another. And so in chapter 5, we will begin a new section, a new uh, concern that Paul, uh, that Paul deals with. But, I, you know, I'm studying this again, reading through the whole book, and I am so thankful for these issues that have come up. Not thankful that they had to go through them, but these are issues we face in the church today, correct? And we're given the Word of God the, the Word of God gives us guidance on how to navigate through these issues, how to do things biblically in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that brings healing and help to our lives and to keep us connected together with the Lord and with one another. And so Paul is uh, seriously concerned about this issue of division. And uh, I mentioned a minute ago, division hurts. I think the Apostle Paul was hurt, by the way. Because we're going to read as we work our way through this letter that Paul was slandered. They slandered Paul. These little groups that divided away from, from these different men. They were, they were saying he's short, he's squeaky, he's irrelevant. Hey, listen, he, he's not like Apollos. He's not like this guy. They were coming down hard on him. And he said, even though you love me, you don't love me. I'm going to keep loving you more and more and more. That is such an awesome heart in ministry because sometimes you're not loved in return. Sometimes you, your name is maligned. Sometimes we are slandered. And ultimately, we know that our Lord Jesus went through that, correct? When he came. And so, and he is the one who's molding and shape us to become more like him. And so when we allow those things to come into our hearts and our lives, God is concerned with our reactions. As much as our actions, he's concerned with our reactions. And Paul gives us a great example to follow in that. He didn't just ditch them, cast them off, say, I'm done with you people. In fact, he loved them enough to reach out to them, to share the truth and love with them. And so 
Paul continues to lay out a correct view, um, the right view of church leadership, what qualifies us for leadership, and how we should view ourselves also when we are involved in leadership or involved in ministry. Yes, we are, listen, yes, we are to honor those who lead in the church, but there is one celebrity in the church, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's Jesus. And Paul tries to point them back over and over and over again to Jesus Christ. And so chapter 3, verse 18, let's check this out together. It says, God's word says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool. Why? That he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. Why? For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And so we find in verse 18, we find a warning, don't we? We find a warning, and it's about self-deception, you guys. It's not only a warning, it's also, we find Paul gives the prognosis or the diagnosis, but he also gives the cure for self-deception. Can we deceive ourselves? We sure can. Otherwise, these warnings wouldn't be in the Bible about deceiving ourselves. Later in 1 Corinthians 6, you can flip there, 6-9, Paul says... Do you not know, he expects us to know this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God, So we can deceive ourselves about sin and the consequences of sin. In fact, if you flip forward to Galatians chapter 6, if you're taking notes, I'm going to read it. You can flip there with me. Galatians 6. Galatians 6, I think it's verse 7. Again, we're warned about self-deception. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so we're warned there about self-deception, what we're putting into our lives and what's coming out of our lives. If you look at uh, Galatians 6.3, we're also told there we're warned against uh, self-deception. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, so you think you're hot stuff, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. James chapter 1, verse 22, if you're taking notes, I'm going to read it. Another warning about self-deception. It says here, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so there's a warning against self-deception, specifically about religiosity. It is not enough, listen, it's not enough just to come and sit in church on Sundays and fill our heads with a bunch of knowledge. In other words, the Lord wants us to take it to the next level. He wants us to take what we're hearing, what we're reading, what we see with our eyes, what we're hearing with our ears, and putting it into practice, trusting in the Lord by faith, walking in those things that he communicates to our hearts. Also in James chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, or you think you're close to God, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, 
this one's religion is useless. And so he talks about an out-of-control tongue, right? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, our tongues are attached to our hearts. And so he's saying you should have control of your tongue, otherwise you're deceiving yourself. And you know what I've learned is that when, I, when there's an out-of-control tongue, there's probably an out-of-control life. And so we're warned there about self-deception. Now come back to 1 Corinthians with me. And so we're prone to deceive ourselves, to live under self-deception. And Paul says here, listen, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. There's things you're convinced of in your life that are not really so. So he gives the diagnosis or the prognosis, but he also gives the cure. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus does that too, doesn't he? Remember in... uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he gives the report cards to the churches. Churches, You guys remember that? He gives the diagnosis, because only he can evaluate a successful church, by the way. A lot of people try to define what a successful church is. Only Jesus can define or evaluate what a successful church is. And it tells us there in Revelation 2 and 3, he gives the prognosis or the diagnosis, but he also gives the cure. Why? To help us get back on track. That we would make adjustments in our lives and within the church, within our marriages, and within our ministries and homes, that we would be following his lead and not being deceived. Are you still with me this morning? Are you still with me this morning? Because look, look, look at the cure. What does he say? If you think you're brilliant, you think you're like super wise, right? In, the, in this world's wisdom, what should you do? You should literally, you know what it means literally? You should literally become a moron. <laughs> A dummy. That's the, the, the word. It's moros in the Greek. If you think you're wise, you think you're something intelligent in this world's wisdom, he says, become a dummy, become a moron. Why? So that you might become wise with God's wisdom. Are you with me? This is so, guys, this is so important this morning, this lesson we're going to learn here. Why? Because look at the next verse. For is a reason word. For... The wisdom of this world, Paul's used this term in a bunch of different ways. The wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men, men's wisdom, the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of this world is what with God? Foolishness with God. That should tell us something, shouldn't it, this morning? Why would we pile on all of that worldly wisdom to the neglect of God's wisdom So important here. It's foolishness to God. That word foolishness, what's that mean, Pastor? It means dull. I looked it up. It means dull, lacking sharpness, lacking the ability or strength to move. And you know what else it means? Truly stupid. Isn't that interesting in the Greek? It's truly stupid. It's foolishness. And Paul quotes to back up. He takes the Old Testament and he backs up his points here with the book of Job, chapter 5, verse 13. And he also takes a quote from Psalm 94, I think it's verse 11. And I think as I look at this and studying this, it's possible, you guys, it's possible that Paul is addressing the church leadership. Those people that were involved in leading the church. And he's saying to them, if you're operating in the wisdom of this world, it is foolishness to God. You've presented yourself as this wise leader, but the way you are leading is worldly, it is carnal, and it's an abomination to God. Listen, God's, God's ways and His wisdom are so different than man's, correct? So different. Like light and dark, different. Opposite ends of the spectrum, you guys. And I think what he's also communicating here also to the body, or besides the leadership also, is that, listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you stopped operating according to the wisdom of this world. You stopped operating under the world's, under this world's philosophies, this world's morals, this world's values. You stopped doing things that are consistent with the way the world does things. You've forsaken the world's wisdom to do what? You've chosen God's wisdom, to walk in his wisdom. And so, again, God's wisdom is way different than ours. His wisdom contradicts conventional wisdom. And and think about that. Think about before you got saved. Did you bring some baggage into the church? Were there some things you learned that were wrong? 
there was a ton of stuff I learned. I learned, and I, as I continue to walk with Jesus and learn about marriage, and I thought marriage was all about me, man. I never, I never knew that. No way, man. If it's all about you, it ain't gonna work. You're gonna wipe out. If it's all about you, are you with me this morning? How about communicate? How about just communication with your spouse? Did that change for you? Some of you dudes. I remember for me it was just uh uh huh duh. <laughs> then you learn that doesn't work. Correct? Are you got dudes with me? Gals are shaking their head. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. Amen. And you begin to grow in your communication. Why? Because the greatest communicator of all time comes and moves into your heart, and he begins to help you to communicate. To share the truth in love, to share things that are edifying and building up. Not that we're perfect, but we're growing in grace and learning these things as we walk with Jesus and follow him. That's just a, a, one example. But we come into the church with preconceived ideas, preconceived notions. We got all kinds of stuff. Even as Christians, we've learned some wrong stuff, you guys. That's, I know that's a hard word for some of us. No way, Pastor. I've learned everything, right? Listen, you'll learn, man, as you walk with the Lord. There's some things that we learn, that we pick up that just aren't right. And we need to be okay with that, that we, that we can learn, that we can make adjustments. Because does God want to teach us? Does God want to teach us this morning? Remember when David got popped? Nathan the prophet came to him. He was messing around with Bathsheba. Psalm 32 came out of that time. After a year of hiding his sin, he gets busted, comes clean. This psalm is amazing, Psalm 32. But I just want to point out this, this, these two verses in the psalm. Because all, all of a sudden, right in this, as he's communicating his heart to God, as he's confessing, as he's, like he's broken over what he's done, all of a sudden, right in the psalm, God speaks to him, interrupts him, and it says in verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Isn't that awesome? That God wants to instruct us. That God wants to guide us. He wants to give us wisdom. And then he says the warning is don't be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle else they will not come near you. Isn't that beautiful? God says, I want to teach you. I want to give you instruction. I want to guide you with my eye. I see where you can't see. I see the big picture. I see the full story. You don't. I love that. And Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, you guys remember what he says? Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. John chapter 7, Jesus said what? When you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. And so it's always coming back to Jesus to learn to be filled up. God wants to teach you and I things that we should know, you guys. And so he knows things we don't. He sees the big picture. And you know, um, I used to think I was so smart and so wise. I am learning it's just not the case. And some of you are like, amen, pastor, that is correct. <laughs> hey, listen, just because you think you're smart or someone tells you you're smart, guess what? Doesn't mean you're smart. We are not as smart as we think we are. Anybody here teach, like teach kids? As parents, we all do, don't we? Anybody here, you guys teach? Probably every single, almost every single one of us here. Right? Our kids sometimes get to a certain age where they know... Thank you. I don't even need to say it. Right? They know it all. I know that already. Come on. I, when I, I was teaching batting, I was trying to make ends meet tent making when we first started the church, and I was washing windows, doing tile floors during the day. At night, I was teaching batting lessons. And you know those kids that with the raw talent, they come in, they got the hand-eye coordination, they're, they're able to, to see the ball and hit the ball. And that raw talent, I love working with raw talent. But then you get some of the kids that come in, and you know what they say? I know that already. 
I saw it on TV, man. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you saw the dude do it. How come you're not hitting like him, you know? <laughs> but that person knows it all, don't they? Or the person, or the person that you're teaching, you guys know this, and they raise their hand, and it's not for a question. It's what? To tell you, to make sure that everyone knows how much they know. Are you with me? Oh, ooh, you're so smart, you're so wise, dude. But you know what I'm learning? That's the way I'm with God. We can do the same thing with the Lord. Oh, I know, I know the doctrine. I know the word inside and out. I know the precepts. I know how this fits. And, and, and I learned from this guy. And I learned from that guy. And I got the, the theological the, the systems down and all of that. And the problem is you haven't heard from the Lord in months and weeks a fresh word. And I think Paul's making a point here about this. The truth is we need God's wisdom and we need to hear from him in a fresh way every single day because we can become experts or, so, or as we suppose experts. Are you with me? That's like maybe 50% of the room. Remember Peter? You guys remember Peter? Went fishing with Jesus. You guys remember that story? Luke chapter, Luke chapter 5. You guys remember the story, don't you? It's like one of my, I wish I had a painting of it at my house. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And multitudes are coming to hear him. Right? Because he didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees who quoted every rabbi and quoted every book and everybody else. Rabbi so-and-so says this, and, rabbi, and this says, quoting everybody else, Jesus taught the word of God. And the people were hungry for the word of God. Just like we are hungry, if you know it or not, that's what we need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need the word of God. So they're, they're coming left and right. The place is packed, standing room only. And Jesus is getting closer and closer to the edge. He's about to go in. Are you with me? So what does he do? He sees Peter. He's got his boat right there. Hey, can I borrow your boat for a pulpit? Right? And he's got a captive audience, right? Peter's right there listening to the Bible study. Jesus is teaching the word. How awesome it must have been. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns, he finishes the Bible study and turns to Peter and gives him what? Two commands and a promise. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets, plural. If you got the right Bible, nets, plural. Let down your nets. That's the second command for a catch. That's a promise, isn't it? What does Peter do? You can almost see him. Like our, like our kids, they don't want to do something, right? Not, not this church. Other kids, other places. I just hear about it. We toiled all night long. Lord, this is illogical request. This is crazy. Wrong place, wrong time. Listen, you're a great carpenter. You're a great teacher. But I'm the expert in fishing. I know, I know these waters like the back of my hand. I know how it's done here. I've done this for years. This is my area of expertise. You stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. And everything will be capiche. Nevertheless, I'll, I'll thrill you. Let's go. And so they take off. Can you imagine the people from shore? Where are you going, Peter? I'm going fishing with Jesus. He wants to go out. It's him, not me. Right? You guys following me? I mean, you got to picture the scene. It's beautiful. They cruise out. And it's so interesting when you study that, it says that he let down the net, singular. It's almost as if he was saying, I can prove this illogical request is nonsense and it's one less net I have to wash. I'll just let down the net. And that's a problem because partial obedience always limits what God wants to do in your life and in my life. So what happens? He begins to pull up the net, and it's packed with fish that it's breaking, and he 
has to whistle to his you know, James and John, get over here, guys. I need help getting this, this hall in. And you guys remember what he did next? He went, I, I, let me guess, Pastor. He went on tour, on a book tour, talking about fishing, weird hours. You guys remember what happened, what Peter did? He fell at the feet of Jesus. And said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I don't think he was saying, uh, Lord, I'm confessing my sin nature, which I inherited from Adam from so long ago. And I'm a sinner by nature. I'm a sinner by choice. And I don't think he was saying that at all. I think he was saying, oh, God, forgive me. How could I be in your presence? How could I think I'm an expert in anything when you're the expert in everything? We need to learn that lesson. I need to learn. I need to not only learn that lesson, but walk in that lesson of how dependent I am upon Him. Jesus is the expert in all things, and we need to hear from Him, you guys. Even even in your area of expertise, where you think you've got it dialed in. I talked about uh, Brother Dave uh, this morning. Used him as an illustration. He is an expert cop. We got some expert cops here. We got some expert businessmen. We got some expert other areas of life. Listen, in your in your field of expertise, Jesus is the expert, and maybe He wants you to launch out in a weird way, in a different way this year. Oh, I've been doing it. I, I'm successful. I've been doing it all all the time, just like this, every week, every year. And Lord said, I want you to. I want you to go this way. That ministry, you've been doing it. There's been success, but I want you to go this way. It is a lesson that we need to learn early on in our walk and to continue to walk in, that we are de fully dependent upon him. We need him. Did we just sing that song? Every hour I need thee. Did we just sing that? Was that your prayer this morning? It was my prayer. It's like, Lord, I need you so desperately in my decision-making, the direction this year coming up. Where, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go, Lord? Where would you be if you're in our community? In this world, where would you have us to go? I don't want to take another step without you. I don't want to just do something and say, Lord, bless it. Lord, I want you to guide our steps. You're the expert in ministry. You're the expert in marriage. You're the expert in life, Lord. I need you. It's such an important thing to learn. And so, God help us. If I want to be wise, I need to come back. I need to become a fool. Isn't it interesting? I need to come back to square one. To become a fool, to wipe the slate clean, to come to God as a child, not as an expert. To come to God as a child and not an expert. So important. And it's the only way to receive from him, you guys. Because think about that. What happens if, you, if I come to God in my own wisdom? Pretty tough to receive, isn't it? I'm coming to you, Lord, in my own wisdom. I've got this already figured out. I've grown to a point where I really don't need... Huh. No, it's absolute dependence upon Him, guys. Absolute dependence upon the Lord. Well, look what he says in the next verse, 21. Literally, in, literally in the Greek, it's stop your continual boasting in men. And then he says, why? For is a reason word for all things are yours. Everything is yours. And he's going to go on to say, you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to God because what were they boasting in? <laughs> Thank you. They were if it says stop boasting in men, what were they doing? Boasting in men. I follow Paul. I follow this guy. I'm so-and-so. And he's saying stop that continual boast. Who are we to boast in? And the Lord, I love what the psalmist says, Psalm 43, in God we boast all the day long and praise his name forever. Is God your boast all day long and praise his name forever? Why? Because everything is yours. Boast in him. He is so good, so generous, so wise. He is giving, isn't he? Do we have a giving God? 
We do. And, and he's, I think he's pointing out two things here that he gives. He gives gifts now, and he has gifts he's going to give us later. He's given us gifts now. We're going to talk about that later. Spiritual gifts later on in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the spiritual gifts of leadership given to the church. In other words, God has arranged the body, the church, in such a way where all of the gifts are for what? For our edification. That we might be built up. Again, remember, they were tooting their horns about, I follow this guy. I'm of this denomination. I'm on this team. And Paul's like, listen, it doesn't matter who's leading the Bible study, the home group, the worship. Why? Because God has blessed the church with spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. It's not about the individual who is bringing the gift. Why? Because God has intended for all of the gifts to be for our blessing and for our benefit. But there's also gifts to come. We have an inheritance coming, you guys. Hebrews 2. We don't see all of those things yet, but we see Jesus. All of those things that are coming our way. We have an inheritance to come, but we don't see it yet. But we see Jesus. And he says here, you belong to Jesus. And Verse 23, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Everything is yours. Everything you want, you've already inherited it. You just haven't received it yet. <laughs> That's the problem. You haven't taken possession of it yet. Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. God has some cool stuff laid up for us, you guys. Great gifts. And Paul's saying it's all yours. You may not, you may not be ready for it just yet. I think about, you know, my... My kids, they have an inheritance coming to them. I've shared this before, some killer surfboards. <laughs> but like for Alana, she's not ready for it. There's a couple of them she's not ready for yet. Just not the timing. But there'll be a time when they get, they can divvy it up. So what's the Lord saying to us? Listen, you're my child. It's all for you to possess your ancestors, Adam and Eve, lost it. They forfeited it. But I bought it back with my precious blood. It's all yours. And if I gave it to you now, you'd blow it. You'd squander it like the prodigal son if I gave it to you all right now. You're not ready for it all yet. You will get it in my perfect timing. And according to my perfect wisdom, you'll receive your inheritance. I need you to stay close to me. To trust me. And what do we often say? It doesn't make sense. And you know, that's okay. Become a fool. A dummy. And you can rest in the Lord. The pressure's off. And God will say to you, it's okay, I'm smart. I'm the smart one here. I'm the strong one. Just rest in me. Trust in me. Look to me. You're my child. John was so blown away after decades of walking with Jesus. Behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God and that is what we are. Are you still blown away by that? Are you guys still blown away by that or just kind of like, uh... Because it can go from a wow, I'm a child of God to a well, yes, I'm a child of God. Born into the kingdom. And then it can go to kind of a whoa. Well, I'm a child of God. Man, I hope we're all excited. You're his child. And, and you know, the one thing, I, and, and I, I, sometimes I have a hard, I share some tough things from the pulpit about the name it and claim it group out there, the, the blab it and grab it kind of theology. They get, but they get a few things right. We are king's kids. And the Lord does want us wealthy. Just may not be here. When we get to heaven, there's an inheritance waiting for us as his children. They, they do get a few things right. And I'm so grateful for that. Because isn't the Lord able to correct us? Amen to that. Can the Lord correct us? Don't be like the horse or the mule, God says. 
But let his tender eye guide us and lead us, give us understanding. Well, Paul goes on to give his own personal perspective on Christian leadership. As we uh, finish this chapter, are we going to finish the chapter? I don't know. I don't think so. Let me read verses 1 through 5. Were there chapter and verse breaks when this was written? There weren't, correct? Paul goes on to say, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, then, then each one's praise will come from God. That is an ama- that's an amazing verse right there. And so Paul says, literally in the Greek, it's the logical, the logical conclusion that you should continually come to about us is this. That number one, we are servants. Who are we servants of? Of Christ. That word is, in the Greek, it means under rower. You guys know what under rowers are? Anybody ever seen Ben-Hur, the movie? Probably not, because it's like from 1959. <laughs> but you can Google it and check it out. They got this amazing scene. If you, if you, if you pull up the, the ship scene from Ben-Hur, and you guys remember, the under rowers, the servants, are under the ship where no one can see them, and they're all together rowing. And they're chained, and they're sweating, and dudes are walking by, whooping them. The the Roman guard comes down and gives them some instructions. They're all in their pomp and circumstance. They're killer outfits. But that's what Paul's saying here. We are under rowers. We're the ones down below. No one can see us sweating, working hard in the belly of the ship. Isn't that interesting? Paul doesn't say, you know what, I'm the captain of the ship the commander, and I'm barking some orders, and you better do what I say. But what is he saying here? I'm willing to be in this place to sweat, to serve, to go unnoticed, to go unthanked for what I'm doing. That's huge, you guys. And you know what? The majority of those serving in our church here, they go unnoticed and they're unthanked. That's just the reality of it. I try as best as I can to thank you guys. I'm so grateful you guys know. I tell, I tell you guys, I try to tell every single one of you. But there's so many people that are unnoticed. And, and here's the deal. The ship doesn't go, doesn't move without those servants. Rowing and rowing. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. Faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, you guys, Jesus sees He sees your labor. And our praise, our work shouldn't be for the praise of men or the thanks of man. It's that, what was the last part of verse 5 we just read? The praise of the Lord. God giving us the praise. Hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant from his lips. That should be our aim. So vital. He says, number one, we are servants of Christ, under rowers. Who's the ultimate example of an under rower? Jesus Christ, you guys remember when he gave us a demonstration of servanthood, of what it looks like? You guys remember? John chapter 13. You guys remember John chapter 13? You guys remember John, you guys remember John chapter 13? Yes? No, maybe so. John chapter 13, what does Jesus do? He washes his disciples' dirty, stinky man feet. 
It's heavy. One by one, no one was willing. It's the, it was the job of the lowest slave, the under rower. Our Lord, I mean, this is God Almighty in the flesh, washing feet. And then he says to his disciples, listen, I'm giving you an example to follow. Blessed are you if you not only know this, but do this. You want your life to be blessed, become a foot washer. Become a servant. Become an under rower. That's so, that wisdom is so contrary to the world, isn't it? The world says, no, if you want to be great in a kingdom, what, what should you do? You should have people serving you. You need to amass a bunch of people to, to kiss up to you, to serve you, to tell you how great you are. But Jesus is not in my kingdom. His kingdom is upside down kingdom, right? Isn't it? You want to be great, become least, become last, become a servant, become an under rower, become a foot washer. Well, how do, I, how do I do that, Pastor? Should I grab a bucket and a towel and wait out front? There are plenty of ways that we can wash people's feet. We can bathe people with kind words, with loving deeds. Listen, I shouldn't have to help, I shouldn't have to tell you how to apply this. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, I, sh I don't need to teach you how to love one another because the Lord already teaches you how to love one another. Isn't that interesting? It should be the Lord teaching you and I. We should be, unless we're unteachable, unless we know it all already. The Lord is the one teaching us how to love each other if we're open to His work in our hearts open to his teaching and showing us there are so many practical ways we can demonstrate love for one another because God has poured his love into our hearts. Has he not? Is that what the book says? He shed his love abroad in our hearts, not that we would become a reservoir, but we would become a conduit, a, a, a vessel that would pour out his love into the lives of others. Jesus said, by this you'll know my disciples, by their love for one another. And it's not just, hey, love you, bro, mean it. John says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in what? Deed and in truth. Because God's love is an, is an, action, is an active love, isn't it? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. By this we know love, that he gave his life for us. There has to be some traction. There has to be some action. There has to be some reaction with our love. But looking for nothing in return. That's agape love. It's not looking for thanks. It's not looking to get praise. It's just I'm doing it because the Lord has called me to follow his example. And the love that he shed abroad in my heart that I want to be poured out in the lives of those around me. And he'll give you what you need. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The problem is our, self, our selfishness gets in the way. And it keeps us from doing these things that God has called us to do. That we would put a smile on his face and bring glory and honor to his name. And so Paul reminds them, listen, number one, you need to come to the right conclusion about us. We are under rowers. We are foot washers. We're not looking for thanks we don't mind going unnoticed, but we're also second stewards of what? What does it say? The mysteries. Does it say stewards of the mysteries of God? What's a steward? Is that the dude that works on the airplane serving drinks? Get the stewardesses and the stewards. Is that right? Don't whatever you do, don't call them that. Excuse me, steward. Because aren't they called something like really PC now? Like, flight, thank you, flight attendant. <laughs> a steward is someone that takes care of something that doesn't belong to them. In other words, someone appointed to manage the owner's most valuable possessions. Old Testament, remember Joseph? Joseph took care of whose stuff? Potiphar's stuff. Moses took care of his father-in-law's critters, right? Animal, sheep. And then God entrusted him with his people. He was a steward of the sheep and then a steward of God's people. And so, listen, you and I are stewards here this morning. We are. 
Every single one of us here is a steward of what God has given us. Every good and perfect gift has come down from who? The Father of lights into your life. You're a steward of your marriage, steward of your kids. They're out on loan to us, by the way. Steward of your home, steward of your resources, your time, your talents, your treasures, the spiritual gifts God has given you. Everything you have, listen, as a steward, I own nothing. It all belongs to him. Even those killer surfboards, they ain't mine. They're the Lord's. They belong to him. Everything belongs to God. We're not owners. We are simply stewards. The church stuff here, the killer van, old-time van, the retro van, have you seen that out there? Belongs to the Lord. The sweet trailer with the wrap on it, that belongs to the Lord. The truck, the chairs, the sound equipment, everything here at church, you know what it belongs to? Not us, not me, not the elders, not the board. It belongs to, not the board, but the Lord. <laughs> belongs to Him. And God has placed this stuff, whether in your home, your own personal life, or in the church, He's placed this stuff in our lives. Why? To manage for His glory. So what's required of you and I? What does it say? Verse 2. That we be found, what? Faithful. That's the, listen, that's the one requirement for us. Not brilliant, not powerful, not mighty, not world-renowned, not wonderful, but faithful. You guys appreciate faithfulness? We do, don't we? Do you appreciate faithfulness? Amazon delivering your stuff on time? <laughs> don't you appreciate the mailman? Delivering your stuff? Rain, sleet, or snow? Or, or male woman? They're not called male woman, all right? Male person. Another correct PC term. I mean, we can't even joke anymore, can we? Don't you appreciate faithfulness with your male person? Let's, let's bring it a little closer. Don't you appreciate your Starbucks person that makes your drink perfectly? <laughs> and when you call ahead on your app, it's there on time for you. We, we, we appreciate faith. Don't you appreciate a faithful spouse? We do appreciate faithfulness, don't we? Don't you appreciate faithfulness with your internet? <gasps> what I do without the web? <laughs> you ever wonder why it's called the web? What would I do if, if, the, if the internet's not faithful? How am I going to learn to get home? I don't, I don't have ways. I don't even know the street names. <laughs> We appreciate that. Listen, the Lord expects us to be faithful. Didn't Jesus speak about that on multiple occasions? Listen, if you have someone managing your possessions and they're not faithful, what happens? They get fired? They're out, aren't they? They don't do what you ask them to do. It's curtains. Here's your... If you do what he asks you to do, then you're faithful. In fact, Jesus said, it was, it was Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, that faithful, that faithful steward is the one who's going to hear, well done, good, and famous. Famous servant. Well done, good, and faithful servant. One guy got five talents. One dude got two, one guy got one. Two of, the peop two of the dudes were faithful with what God gave them. They entered into the joy of the Lord. The other one dude was like, no, I, you know what? I've got to bury this thing. I've got to hide it. And the Lord had some heavy words for him. And so we're out of time. What a bummer. Can I encourage you to read ahead? 
hope this is not like Debbie Downer time as we end. <laughs> that should be exciting to us, hearing those words, well done. The Lord bringing us into all that he has for us. The excitement of being in that place that, the father, that, that Jesus is preparing in the Father's house. Isn't there a song about this is my Father's world? And we get to enjoy not only his presence to be with him, how awesome is that going to be? To be with our Jesus, but to all that he has prepared for us. Have you ever thought about what a deal? He rescues us. By his grace, all we've done is placed our trust in him. We provide the sinner, he provided the savior. And so he rescues us. We get born again by his spirit. We become a new creation, born again. And then what does he give us? He pours his love into our hearts. He gives us giftings and calling, spiritual gifts. He's already prepared the good works to walk in beforehand. And then what does he do? He works in and through your life, and then you get rewarded for it. How do I sign up for that deal? <laughs> Whoa! That's the deal. What's the Lord looking for, for from you, from me? Simply to trust him. To follow him, to walk with him. It's that simple. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Are sheep, are sheep smart critters? <laughs> no way. Starting with the pastor. We need him. And our lives thrive and abound under his care, the good shepherd. Amen. Amen. Can't wait to see him. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Help us, Lord, to stay in that place of just uh, simple dependence, complete dependence upon you.